2 Corinthians 4. I'm um, going to read a few verses of Scripture, kind of jump around to the, from the first to the, to the last part of this. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And I, I want to I, I explain to you what this ministry is. Okay? This ministry is described in chapter 3. And he says in, in verse 5 of chapter 3, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that was his ministry. It was the ministry of life. And you may wonder if you've been given a ministry of grace, a ministry of the spirit that brings life, not a ministry of the letter that brings death. And I would assume we would imagine that that ministry of the spirit that's just given life to people is going to be a ministry that is so welcomed. It's going to be so accepted. It's going to be so loved that you might wonder, what in the world does Paul have to faint about? I mean, this is a great ministry. And yet Paul says in chapter four, verse one, that I need to receive mercy from God or I will faint. It's God's mercy that has kept me from fainting. So let's understand what this ministry looks like, because it's if, if we just had chapter three and the description of his ministry with chapter four, verse one then we may not really understand what the ministry of grace looks like. The ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of the new covenant. We may not understand what it looks like. And so he goes into chapter 4 and he kind of describes really what this ministry is. And man, when you begin to read this, then you can understand, okay, I think I'm getting the feigning. Because he says in verse 7, that we have a treasure inside of us. And so I'm not special. You're not special. God is special. And the unique thing about our life. And, this, and, and guys, this goes really contrary to contemporary preaching today. Because a lot of the contemporary preaching. A lot of the so-called apostolic prophetic movement. That has its roots in a lot of error. I believe, in prof I believe in prophecy. I believe in prophets. I believe in apostles. I do. But there are movements that are apostolic in nature or prophetic in nature that do, do not focus on Christ in you. They just focus on you and how mighty you are, how powerful you are, how anointed you are. But Paul corrects that in this chapter. And he, he says that I'm not the excellent. What's so special about me is there is a treasure inside of me. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just talking to you like this. But what Paul is saying is what's inside of me is special. And it's like I'm in the way. So in order to get that treasure out, I have to be broken. Now, he affirms this in Corinthians as well in chapter 11 and chapter 12 because he says that I've come to rejoice in my brokenness because the power of God and of grace rest upon me. 
And God has revealed to me in my weakness that that's when I'm really strong. None of us would think that. We, we, would, we would think quite the opposite, that strong people are strong and weak people are weak. But the scriptures testify that it's the weak people who are strong and it's not the strong people that are strong. They're actually weak because they're relying in themselves. And Paul is relying in the Lord. So are you ready for this ministry? Are you ready for a ministry of the spirit that brings life? That's going to require from God mercy so I don't faint. Now he says that particularly the treasure in me is what's special. So that the excellency may be of God. And not of ourselves. So this is what he finds himself in. If if you would notice this. He comes to this in in verse 7 and 8. Particularly chapter 8. Verse 8. He says we are troubled on every side. Are you ready for that? But we're not distressed. We're troubled. But we're not distressed. We're perplexed. Are you ready for perplexing situations? But we're not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken. Why would anybody whose who's, who's life is to give life be persecuted? We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Now, why is this going on with his life? Why is this the ministry of the Spirit? He says, because we're bearing in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which are delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest through our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And that's the ministry of life. Who wants that? I mean, you know, we we might be attracted to the gospel message. We might be attracted to the fact that it's good news. And like the celebration at the birth of Jesus, peace on earth, good news to men. Goodwill towards men from God. And we'd love to herald that and everybody's going to love that. But wait a minute, God's saying they need to see the life of my son. This is a ministry of life. And if there's going to be a ministry of life, Through you, there has to be the working of death in you. That means that I'm going to put you into situations you don't understand. It's going to perplex you. There are going to be times I allow the enemy to hit you, but it's not to destroy you. Everything that I'm allowing to occur in your life is to somehow crack open the outer shell, which is you, and it's not excellence, in order that the life of Jesus that's in you will be able to come out, that the excellency may be of God and not of us. And that's the ministry of life. And so it's easy to say something, it's easy to proclaim something, but as I have often said, the greatest sermons that are preached in this world are not in pulpits. They're not on YouTube. The greatest sermons that have ever been preached about Jesus Christ 
are those people that the world has never heard of. But they have allowed themselves to be broken to the point of weakness. And the life of Jesus just comes pouring out of them. And they're giving life to people while they're dying. And supernaturally, they don't die. They continue to live. And that's a miracle of their life. And that's what people watch. That's what people watch. The most impressive thing about your Christianity is when people are observing your life and what is going on in your life. And they're, they're asking themselves questions like, why are you still following God after you're going through what you're going through? I mean, if God is your God, why is he allowing this to happen to you? And they're watching you and they're studying you and they don't understand. They're seeing something that their minds cannot understand, but they're watching something they can't deny. You love God and God is sustaining you. And when you're being crushed, you should be cursing. And yet Jesus is coming out of you. Amazing to me. And, and people are attracted to that life because people are hurting. Everywhere people are hurting. And when you become a Christian, you're not going to escape hurting. You're not going to escape persecution. But here's the good thing. People who suffer without Jesus get no blessing, no reward, no recovery from their suffering. They just suffer on earth and sadly they die and they suffer in hell. But people who suffer in Christ are rewarded. They are blessed. And we begin to realize that I don't suffer because of the rejection of God. I suffer now because I'm chosen to bring a ministry of Jesus Christ into the world through my brokenness. I'm no longer a victim. I'm not a victim of anything. I'm now chosen of God to be rejected, to be misunderstood, to be cursed, to maybe be hated, to be slandered, to be gossiped about. And when I understand the ministry that God has given me, which is a ministry of life, then when people betray you and people forsake you and people blast you and people gossip about you, you're not supposed to go on with joy. You're supposed to fall apart. Your life is supposed to be over. But the he who lives in you is greater than the he who is in the world. You know what that means? I would describe it this way. Somebody described it to me. It was a beautiful illustration. But when you fly on an airplane and, and you get into a pressurized cabin, And the reason you get into a pressurized cabin is there has to be pressure inside the cabin to deal with the pressure, the atmospheric pressure that is pressing on the outside of the cabin. It has to be balanced perfectly. And when the scriptures say that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, what it's talking about is this, that the pressure of the world that is beating against you constantly, that would seek to cause you to implode, to cave in, to quit, to faint. Instead, there is some body, not you. There is some body inside of you 
pushing back perfectly so you don't break. Greater is he that's in me. Greater is the pressure of Jesus in me to go on than the pressure of Satan against me to stop me. And that's something you experience. We, we can quote it. We can pray for it to be true. But in the next moment of pressure or wrestling with the enemy, you're going to feel the push of Jesus that keeps your faith going. Praise God. Praise God. So, this is the ministry that Paul was given. And now I begin to understand, yeah, I need mercy for that. I I really do. I, I need mercy. I can understand the fainting. The word fainting there means this. It means to be utterly spiritless. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking you as believers, how is your spirit? How is your enthusiasm? How is your excitement for Jesus? How is your excitement for this life, for this ministry that Jesus Christ has called us to, called you to? How's your, how's your spiritual level? Are you, are you dry? Are you cold? Are you distant? Are you numb? Or is there something in you pushing on your spirit that says, no, we can't settle here. I understand where you are, but I'm not going to let you settle here. I'm going to push you to, to spend the time in, in fasting and prayer with the church, not so you can twist my arm, but so that you can experience the fire of my Holy Ghost again in your spirit. Fainting means to be wearied out, to be wearied out, to be so weary you're out. It's, I guess it would be some of the types of MMA fighting and things like that where you just You tap out. I'm done. This hurts too much. You know, stop the fight. It's over to be exhausted. How many of you are exhausted to give up, to bail? I'm out of here. And that's that's what fainting is. And 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 Paul said, and, and this is what I think is so beautiful. Paul said, there is mercy. There is loving kindness that is coming from the throne of God into my life that keeps me from having a cold, dry, barren spirit. That keeps me from being wearied out. That keeps me in these wrestling matches with hell. It keeps me from tapping out. It keeps me from bailing on people that are counting on me. It's the mercy of God. That's beautiful because it's not something you earn. There's no amount of tithes and offerings you can give to get this mercy from God. It is a free gift. He gives it by his grace, by his compassions to any miserable soul. That's, That's who mercy is given to, the miserable, you know. So if you're just devastated here today, if you're spiritually bankrupt, you're spiritually cold, you're wearied out, you've been tapping out, some reason they haven't called the fight, you want to bail, you want to get, you are the candidate of mercy. Don't, don't think, well, I got to get myself straight and I got to psych myself up and I got to get all into this preacher's message and have this enthusiastic level of, yes, God, I agree, now give me mercy. No, it's like I come crawling and begging and needy of God and God pours his mercy upon my life because I am weak and crippled.
man, I need God. I need his help. And Paul comes down to this in 2 Corinthians, and amazing. Um, he says this in verse 15. He says, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And so th- this is his ministry that he's received from the Lord, that everything is for you. Everything is for you. Um, that's, that's really tough. That is unnatural, but it is the ministry of of grace. It's the ministry of the spirit. And so it's like for my life as a pastor, I want everything to be for you. If, if, If I go through anything, whether it's good or bad, somehow I want that to come to your account. Does that that's the ministry. If I'm hurt and if I'm wounded and I want to quit, then I want to be able to stand in this pulpit and say I'm hurt and I'm wounded and I want to quit rather than be a fake and try to make you think I've got it all together. Because that's where I am and I I want it to be for you. I want you to understand that God's going to bring us through this together. And he goes on and he says, now it is for this cause we faint not. This is the cause. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That is an amazing statement. Uh, uh, Because none of us would judge Paul's life as light affliction. But it was just for a moment. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this is what the mercy of God does, and this is what this ministry does, is it gives you the ability to live now, not looking at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's one of the blessings of this ministry. You literally see eternity. You literally see things that other people cannot see. That's what comes in the mercy of God. And, and, and guys, I, I just suppose I would like to say, but I, I, I wouldn't want it to sound as though I'm, I'm, I measure up to any of the greats of the past. I, I certainly don't. But it, it, would, it would make me understand that if I come to God in a broken posture and, and I admit to God that, Lord, the ministry you've given me is way beyond me. It's too much for me. I can't bear this. I can't, I can't shoulder this weight, God. There, there are things you put me through. I don't understand it. There, there, there are times I just knew you were going to do this, God, and, 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 and you didn't do it. And I don't understand why you didn't do it. And then I'm, at the same time, I'm getting pressed over here. And I'm getting clobbered in the face by the devil right here. And I'm laying flat on my back. But for some reason, I'm not out. I don't understand it. But God, I need you. I need your mercy, God. I I need your help. I need your strength. And God shows me heaven. God shows me eternity with him. God doesn't show me just all of the reproaches of the people and all of the anger of the people and all of the forsaking and all of the abandonment. He doesn't. Those are not the things that become in my focus. But by the mercy of God, I'm able to see the things that are forever. Realizing that all these things I experience on the earth are temporal. Temporal. 
And compared to the glory that I see, it's all right. It's light. It's light. It's not that heavy. That's the mercy of God. That's the mercy of God. You, you, you have to have the mercy of God. Paul said in um, 2 Timothy, I'm not going to read the, turn there, but well, I tell you, you can turn to 2 Timothy 3. But he said in 2 Timothy 4, he said, um, I have finished my course. I've run the race. I've finished my course. I have fought a good fight and I've kept the faith. Those are three great things that you will believe God for the mercy far in your life. That there's a race that's set before me and I want to finish it. There's a fight that I'm fighting and I want to fight a good fight. And I want to, at the end, I want my faith in Jesus. Because that's what the devil's trying to take from me is my faith. To deny the Lord, tap out, give up, run away, abandon, forsake, whatever it may be. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's at this point in his life where he's saying to Timothy, he said, you know, basically, um, they're cutting my head off in the spring. And so winter's coming, and it's going to be a hard winter, and I need you to get to me as fast as you can, Timothy. And when you do, bring my coat, and uh, pick up the books, and especially the parchments. And I want you to beware, because, look, I've, I've had a rough time with this guy named Alexander. He's done me a lot of harm. Much evil he did me. And he stood against our words. He stood against our gospel. You want to talk about, you want to talk about pressure. You want to talk about confusion. He said in 2 Timothy 4. In my time of need. When Alexander stood against me. Very influential man. Very powerful man. When he stood against me, not one member of the church came to my defense. I stood there all alone. You talk about pressure. You ever felt that way? You ever felt abandoned? You ever felt forsaken? You ever felt nobody cared about you? Look, this is the end of Paul's life. He's not just starting. He's not just fresh out of seminary. You know, he's at the end. And when he was on trial under the accusations of Alexander, he said, not one person in the church came to my defense. If it were me, I would have looked back on my life of ministry and I would have thought, what an absolute failure I am. Not one. Everyone forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. And the Lord strengthened me. And in the same passage, Paul said to Timothy, he said, Demas forsook me. Demas abandoned me. I was counting on him. I woke up one morning and he wasn't there. That's so painful. That is so painful. And so Paul rightly needs mercy. And so do you and so do I. So this generation, I think we probably would need mercy more than any other generation. Because of 2 Timothy 3. 
which I hope you're there. Let's read it. Just know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, quitters, in other words, don't keep their words, false accusers. They're going to gossip about you. They're going to slander you. They're going to be on Facebook telling everybody how bad you are. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Um, They're ever learning in verse 7, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the church in the last days. Now, when I read that, my immediate response is, thank God I'm not like that. But the safest road for me to take is, that's me. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a statistic of the last day's church. I want to be an exception. I want to be the remnant. Whatever you want to call it. I, I, I don't want to have a form of godliness. I want the power of God. I want the power of God. God, my heart is cold. My spirit is dry. I'm not going to live like this. Oh, God, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to pursue you because I know that you're there to be found and you reward those who diligently seek you and give me the fire of the Holy Ghost in my life. I will not be put out this close to the end of the race. So I look at 2 Timothy 3 and I just put myself, that's me. It's the safest place I can do business with God. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't put yourself there. and That's a dangerous place to be. But when I read this passage of scripture, I, I would just sum it up in this light that the church in the last days is going to be very selfish. It's going to be pleasure seeking. It's going to want pleasure more than it wants God. What does that mean? Well, just understand God. And so if it wants pleasure more than it wants God, it wants pleasure more than it wants its marriage. Because God's bigger than marriage. It wants pleasure more than it wants its health. Because God's bigger than your health. I mean, God's God's it. And so if you are willing to put God off to the side to pursue a pleasure, you will put Anything, your ethics, your morals, you will put anything to the side to fulfill selfish pleasure. That's the church in the last days. That's me. God, deliver me from me. I don't want to be this guy. And it's a quitter generation. It quits. It quits on whatever is not fun. It quits on whatever is not pleasurable. This hasn't always been the case of humanity, but it is the case in the end times, in the last days. Paul said to the Galatians, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary or faint in doing good, for in due season we will reap If we do not give up, 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. To the Hebrews, he said, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So I have. I have always loved the word of God. Since since I was a child, I've loved the word of God. And I have sought the presence of God. But I have come to crave the ministry of God's spirit. Probably the last 14, 15 years, like I have never craved it in my life. And I, I, I suppose it's because I understood this more than I've ever understood it. In my life. And I want the life of Jesus to be revealed through me. I don't care to be a great preacher. Or a great communicator. I want somehow to be in a relationship with God. Where Jesus can come out of me. And now in my life. Not just lately. But I would probably say over the last Two decades, I realize why what is happening to me. You know what I mean by that? God, what are you doing? Well, I realize it. Or I realize what the why is happening in my life. Why is this happening? I get it. I get it. There is a beautiful treasure, a life of God inside of me. That God wants to demonstrate through my life that will give testimony to the gospel that I preach with my lips. Love, forgiveness, mercy, faithfulness, steadfastness, endurance, cherishing God, worshiping God, loving the body of Christ, caring for the body of Christ, being steadfast and enduring, love that never fails, love that never gives up, love that believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love, that kind of, I want that to come out of my life and I never get the opportunity to do it better. And when it's hard, so hard that I want to run. And I do want to run. Make no mistake about it. I have tasted the fainting. I have spent mornings not wanting to get out of bed because of the fainting. I understand the desire to run. I have wanted to run many times. I have wanted to quit. But the love of God would not let me. I have fought hell. I have fought hell when it was wearing a dress and jeans. Hiding inside of a particular man or woman. Throughout my life in ministry, I have been an emotional wreck. I know you're not supposed to say that. But my emotions get the best of me. I know they don't. Y'all are so composed. You're amazing people. I'm about to break down and y'all are like. (laughs) Through it all, God has sustained me. I take refuge in his love and his presence. At the end of the day, that's all I've got. And it's enough. I told the church in California, I said, if you want Jesus there, it's because the Jesus in your quiet place is not enough for you. In other words, if Jesus is not your contentment, you are not going to be content. 
run to another marriage, run to another set of friends, run to another city, take another job, run to another church. You're not going to be happy. Jesus is contentment, only him. And you have to learn to be content in him. It's not automatic. Paul said to the Philippians, I've learned to be content. Where was I? Through it all, God has sustained me. I take refuge in his love and presence. He never fails to give me the comfort and faith to continue. It is God's love that upholds me, constraining me to move forward, not to quit or give up or run away or forsake my church, family, and friends. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I haven't dreamed about it. And if you could get inside my mind and think of the terror stuff I would do to people. I know you're not supposed to say that. I have walked through many dark shadows. I have been haunted by long seasons of pain and despair. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. I have been diseased in my body. After 15 years of it, roughly God healed me. In them all, my faith hears the voice of the Holy Spirit telling me to stand. And having done all to stand, stand. That's what I hear him saying to me. Running instead of standing is an effort to find your own way. It is an attempt to light your path when you are faced with a situation you do not like. It is the moments we find it hard to trust God. Walking by sight seems more reasonable than walking by faith. And we succumb to the temptation to take matters into our own hands. We lean to our own understanding. We renavigate our course to a route that seems more plausible than the one God had us on. A while back, it wasn't recent, but a while back I was driving here in town and I knew the area that I was going to. I was somewhat familiar with where I was going, but I didn't know the exact location of where this was. So I, I set my ways, right, my navigation, and I, I put in my destination, and Waze pops it all up. Okay, this is the route you take, and I'm like, okay, so I'm following. It's good. I, I, I jump. I, I get on Highland Road, jump on the interstate, and I'm heading towards downtown. Everything's great. Traffic is moving superbly. Wonderful. All of a sudden, Waze is rerouting me off of Essen Lane, and I'm thinking, oh, uh-uh. This is not, this is not good. This is not a better route. I know by experience, I'm just like three miles. This is taking me by the Lady of the Lake Hospital traffic to Perkins Road. Ain't gonna happen. Waze does not know what it's talking about. Can I get an amen, Carla? So I... Lean to my own experience. And I stay on the interstate and get stuck for an hour and a half in traffic because of an accident that happened just before me. Waze knew what I didn't know. And I sat there for an hour and a half and think, oh my gosh, the wasted hours If I would have just listened to Waze, 
I would have been there by now. So you know what I'm talking about. Well, we often do this with God. We do not like the way God is leading us. I know a better way. Experience tells me this is the route that I should take. God's way is wrong. So we renavigate our lives from God's plan. And down the road, we find ourselves trapped in an accident. God was sending us around. And we eventually realize how foolish our decision was. We've all done it. Some lament. Some of you are here this morning. Some of you are still stuck. Today is God's invitation for you to be unstuck. Some of you have recently been set free. Some of you understand the wasted years because we renavigated. It wasn't fun. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. People don't love me. People don't care about me. Don't connect this, that, whatever we want to say. It's going to be better down the road. We run down the road and we find ourselves stuck on hell's interstate. And the wasted years we spent there. Others lost friends because they left and did not stand. God's purposes were delayed and put on hold Because we ran and we did not stand. Other people got into relationships that robbed them as they ran from the friends who really did love them. Some some married the wrong people only to find themselves suffering from loneliness and regret now in a marriage they wish they didn't have. Because they knew better than God In those moments of perplexity, instead of receiving mercy and friendship with God, we bailed out and we chose our own way. And when I read 2 Timothy 3, and I'm not going to be much longer. You've been very patient today. If you would turn to Isaiah 50, that's going to be my last scripture. But I just I just kind of want to bring it to this. I would just say. Because of this ministry. Okay, is that fair enough? And and those of you that hear it, you love God. You you don't have to be an ordained preacher, big deal. You know, I I oftentimes don't address ourselves. People say, who are you? I say, I'm Lee. You know, I, I don't care about the titles. I have the greatest respect for our pastors, but it's not in my mind to say Pastor Felix or Pastor Evan. It's just Felix, it's Evan. We're just people. You know, and so when, when we come into these to these places in our life where we are and we have this ministry that literally has the potential of giving life. I would assume you want that and you don't have to be in a pulpit to do that. You don't have to have an ordination. You don't have to have a title by your name. You don't have to have a diploma. You just have to have a supernatural treasure, a Jesus living inside of you and be willing for God to break you, knowing this is going to be really good. Now, broken people know it's going to be really good because they have come to love the brokenness because of the comfort of God. 
And so you come to this place because you want the life of God to come out of you. So I say this to us, and I want to say it in this regard, because if ever a generation needed the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is today. People don't see love. People don't see commitment. People don't see faithfulness that hurts. I heard this phrase lately, um, a discipline that walks a lot of years in that direction. People don't see that too much. Over 60% of Christian marriages end in divorce. This is the second Timothy three generation. We quit on our friends. We bail on our families. We bail on God. Because there's plenty. But, but I say this and, and praise God. Not everybody does that. And so I say for God's sake. For the church's sake. Because that's what this ministry is. Everything is for you. Can we fully preach a glorious gospel a glorious Christ who means everything to us he means everything to you and to let people be able to see that Jesus in your life I guess what I'm saying is this can we stick it out can we weather the storm Can we bear up under some hard times and not run to the next pleasure? Can we handle some offenses with faith and backbone and patience and mercy and forgiveness? Do we have to demand such justice when we ourselves really don't want justice? I have found myself this week more than ever. Thank you, Felix, for leading us in this fast. Praying for my enemies. I have, through this fast, I have felt the convictions of God in my life. To pray for people I don't even want to think about. I I have discerned a work of God that is tearing me up. On the inside, but but actually, I, I perceive what God is doing is He's taking a poker and He's stirring up the cold logs, so a fire can burn again in my spirit. And I say, "Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. I can't pray for them like You want me to unless You give me the grace to do that. But but do it, Lord. Not not only in reference to the church or anything like, just your life. Please listen to me. I just think this is such great wisdom from God's word. Can you just walk through this season knowing it's a season that is going to end? And when this season ends and you walk into a new season, you have not lost your ethics. You have not lost your reputation. You have not lost your friends. You have not lost your family. You have not lost your church. Because you walked through the season that you wanted to give up in. We've all been there. But beloved, I assure you, it's a season. It's not going to last forever. And as a pastor, 
by my own personal mistakes, but also just in multitudes of counseling, most of the heartache and the pain and the tears are the regrets that people have because in a time of an emotional crisis, they made decisions they wish they hadn't have made and they lost so much. If I just would have stuck it out, if I just would have walked with God, if I just would have received his mercy and, and come through this season, I would have walked out into this beautiful day. And my life would still be intact, but it's not intact. It's fallen apart. And I'm lonely now. And I have regrets now. I'm just beseeching you as a pastor. Don't, don't let that be your testimony. So be careful when you're making decisions in a night season or an emotional season or when the devil's in your face wrestling with you. Telling you to run when the Holy Ghost is telling you to stand. So I close with this scripture, Isaiah 50, if the worst team wants to come up. And he says in Isaiah 50, and I've shared this with you before, but it's, I think it's just so good for this year. Verse 10, who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. And, and so here's the question. And just stay with me because I'm closing. Maybe like a surgeon closes. It may be a little while. But can you walk with God in the darkness? Can you? When you can't see, when, when you don't understand, can you hear and listen to his voice? Because I'm going to tell you something. Prayer is such a prehistoric thing in churches today. Most of you guys aren't going to be at a prayer meeting tonight. I, I wish it would be the most sought after Time that we can spend together around our Father. But he says, can you trust in the name of the Lord? Can you stay upon God when it's dark? Or are you so tempted that you have to light a fire? I have to light a fire. I have to get out of here. I have to go somewhere else. I have to have a change. Something needs to be different. Something needs. So I'm gone. I'm, I'm leaving this marriage. I'm leaving this friendship. I'm leaving this job. I'm leaving this. I'm running. I can't do it. I can't bear it anymore. I got to have some light on this. And we want to run. But, but can you just instead walk with God in the darkness? Because God's going to lead you into the light. Your darkness is going to end, but if, if you are so determined to light your own fire, get the counsel you want. The counsel you want to, and trust me, if you ask enough people, somebody's going to tell you what you want to hear. Then this is what happens in verse 11. Behold, all you that kindle a fire, that surround yourselves about with sparks... Walk in the light of your fire. Go ahead. Walk in the light of your fire. And in the sparks that you've kindled, go ahead and do it. But this is what you're going to have from my hand. You will lay down in sorrow. You will lay down in sorrow. Stay on your God. Stay on your God. 
Sometimes God allows the season to be so dark because He really doesn't want you to see what's all around you. Tell a story on Carla. We were in college and we went to Mexico on a missions trip. And we were out in kind of the desert area in Mexico, not far from Guatemala. And Carla's staying in a a little house with two of the Mexican ladies there. And she's staying in that little house and the bathroom's an outhouse outside. So she has to go to the bathroom at night. So she goes out to the bathroom at night, has no light, nothing. And she just goes out to the outhouse and she's there and she finishes. And and one of the ladies, oh, you know, she wanted to help her and all that. So she comes and she turns the light on and there are cockroaches everywhere, all over, crawling with it. Now I could live my whole life not seeing that. that's what we do sometimes. We, we just have to turn the light on. And you're going to see things God didn't want you to see. They're going to startle you. They may, they may give you fear. So don't be so concerned with light or darkness. Be concerned with whether you hear.